Hello everybody and welcome to episode 10 of Scary Fucking Bedtime Stories. This is your host, Rebecca, and I'm having a pretty good day. It's been 10 days since I quit smoking and it's also episode 10, so I think that's a pretty, uh, pretty good accomplishment, pretty good day. Not only that, but it's been pretty warm outside lately. I was actually able to wear my uh, one of my skirts for the first time since probably last <laughs> August. It's been a while. But regardless, we are back today with a very special request from our one listener. <laughs> Brian, thank you again for being so fucking awesome. Today we're reading The Blood Game, or as it's titled as well, My friend taught me how to play The Blood Game, and I regret ever playing it. It may be, um, I guess it'll only be a little bit of time for me and not so much time for you, but I'm still pausing a little bit (laughs) here and there between sentences to cough, clear my throat. You know, but hopefully that'll be over with pretty soon. I mean, I can only have so much shit in my lungs, right? I'm going to add this in at the beginning of the podcast because, you know, my, my goal for like at least half of you is, is to have you fall asleep by the end of it. It's a bedtime story. So I'm going to say that's at the beginning, so I'm not just talking to you literally unconscious ears. But if you do have any story suggestions yourself, want to follow on social media, you can go to Twitter at SFBS podcast. As well, you can email me at sfbspodcast at gmail.com. Or if you go on the Anchor FM website, which is actually what I use to host this podcast, anchor.fm slash fsbs oh tongue twister a little bit (laughs) there's a lot of letters in here okay anchor.fm slash sfbs that'll take you to my anchor page and you'll be able to send in a voice message to the podcast that I can play back on air if you like Uh, or you can head over to the twitter send me a dm send me a comment Maybe give me a follow, a couple likes, you know. (laughs) And, yeah, that's about, oh yeah, no, Patreon, Patreon. Still working on Patreon, but it does exist. (laughs) Um, That is patreon.com slash sfbs. So I hope everyone's nice and cozy wherever they are. Maybe not too cozy, say if you're on like a road trip (laughs) or some type of long drive probably good to stay awake. In that case, I hope you are completely alert, and please skip the breathing exercises that are going to follow this very shortly. So, yeah, I think we'll do that now. So if you are trying to stay awake, or you're not interested in going to sleep, these keep end up getting a little bit longer (laughs) every time I try and set a time. 
So I'm hmm, skip to hmm, skip to six and a half minutes. Yeah, six and a half minutes. If you are not looking to go to sleep, uh, or you need to be alert right now. Everyone else, let's go. So, as usual, we're going to get comfortable and cozy on your bed, maybe on a couch, if you just want to have like a nap, but preferably the bed, nice and cozy. Get on your preferred, most comfortable side, whether you sleep on your side, your back, your stomach. Make sure that you are completely comfortable. Get warm under your blankets or covers, comforters, duvets, what have you. And feel your shoulders sink into the bed as they relax and let go. Feel that relaxation spread through your neck, down your arms, into your hands and your fingers, down your torso, into your hips, your legs, your feet, and your toes. Like a wave of relief washes over you and your mind clears any thoughts, let them pass. Close your eyes if they aren't already closed and we'll begin the breathing exercise. Take a deep breath in, two, three, four, hold, two, three, four, exhale, two, three, four. Breathe in, two, three, four, hold, two, three, four, Exhale, two, three, four. Breathe in, two, three, four. Hold, two, three, four. Exhale, two, three, four. And let your breathing return to normal. See, every time, every time it gets just a little bit longer. <laughs> But I want to add little things into the routine every time to make it a little bit different, a little bit more engaging, so your brain doesn't wander, but also something you know that's comfortable, so it's more easy to relax and not have to be completely alert to understand what it's saying, or I'm saying. Now, The Blood Game is by Tommy Poole Frank, and this one is linked from ThoughtCatalog.com. Looks like it is archived from 2014, but it was updated in 2019. So, let's begin. It started with action movies, I guess. 
I always loved those movies with sexy vampires clad in what basically amounted to bondage uniforms having secret wars in the dark places of our worlds. The idea that stories like that could be taking place somewhere while I slept quietly in my bed thrilled me in some deep way, and I clung to those fantasies as an escape from the doldrum of shitty school and shittier summer jobs. So when Garrett told me about the blood game, I was instantly interested. Garrett was, you know, a Dungeons and Dragons guy. I had played those sorts of imaginary games with him and his crew a few times, but it never really stuck with me. It just wasn't real enough for me. I liked them in theory, but could never really lose myself in them. The blood game was different. The concept was fairly simple, like some sort of those other pen and paper role-playing games I had tried with Garrett. You had a character with different powers and abilities and such, but unlike those other games, the blood game was a game that you were playing all the time, everywhere you went. Players would leave stuff for each other to find that related to the game, like special notes and clues, and they would have pre-planned events. But all you had to do was bump into someone else who was a player, and you could do a little scene from the game right there, wherever you were. In case it wasn't already obvious, the theme of the game revolved around various creatures of the night, including vampires, but also werewolves, demons, and other various undead creatures you could play as. There were some less common things you could be too, like fairies and stuff, but I didn't pay much attention to those things. I, like most people involved, played a vampire. I was hooked right away. I mean, after all, it was just like those fantasies I had in my head of a secret world hidden from our own but going on all around us. Plus, it turned out kind of a lot of people at school were playing it. Most of them just turned up for the big events, which mostly happened on Friday evenings and Saturday during the day. But there were a fair number of us, and I say us because I became one of them very quickly once I found out about it, who were super active and playing all the time. Most of us were semi-social rejects but even some of the cooler kids were involved. Most of the planning for the game was done by a group of a half a dozen or so people. There was Garrett, who had made up the rules of the game and would settle disputes, and then there were other moderators, Victoria, Isaiah, Chris, and Bethany, and one or two others whose names I can't remember. The moderators would plan formal events and also help settle disputes while keeping the game running. Of the moderators, Bethany, was what I guess you would call the highest ranking of the bunch. And even Garrett answered to her. It had been her idea to start the blood game, and she ran it with a bit of an iron fist. When Garrett told me that Bethany was the person in charge of this whole thing, I couldn't help but laugh. Bethany was a bubbly valley girl who wore preppy clothes and loved horses more than anything. She probably would have been a cheerleader if it weren't for her being a little chunky and the fact that she walked with a slight but apparently permanent limp. She wasn't exactly the most popular girl in school, and to be honest, she annoyed the hell out of me most of the time, but it still didn't seem like a fit for what I had initially imagined to be a game played exclusive, exclusively by our school's nerd and goth crowds. The rules of the game were fairly boring, but there were a few things about them that are worth mentioning. One of the big rules was that your character had to use your real name and that you weren't supposed to dress up in any way to play the game. This was explained as helping with immersion, and I didn't question it at the time. 
The other thing was that there was not much combat in the game. Instead, the focus of the game was on sort of personal political intrigue with the goal of collecting power. A somewhat straightforward value measured with the special cards Bethany made and had control over, and getting other people indebted to you in the form of favors, which were more vague. The goal was to reach certain amounts of power by the time of certain events so that you'd be awarded with prestigious titles and new character abilities. It sounded kind of silly and pointless, I'm sure, and I've simplified it greatly for the sake of getting to the more important parts of the story, but trust me when I say that it was a lot of fun to actually play. There were also some very specific rules about power and favors and drinking blood of other players and some other really weird stuff, which sort of freaked me out when I read them, but Garrett assured me that it was all just game stuff. Even if there were parts of the blood game that didn't appeal, overall the idea was thrilling and I became even more enticed after my first big event. Over 40 people from my school turned out to a public park near school grounds that Friday night. I couldn't believe who was there, nor could I believe I hadn't heard about the game before, before then with so many people playing it. Mostly, these were people I didn't know well, but there were a few I was friendly with, including Sarah, which really surprised me as I hadn't seen her at any social event outside of school since her sister's suicide. Standing with Sarah was Adelaide, the person who had become Sarah's best friend after the tragic events of the year before. Adelaide was a younger girl, a sophomore, with pale white skin and coal black hair. Her eyes were a vivid sea green. It made sense for her to be playing the blood game. She already looked like a vampire. It just so happened I also had a massive crush on Adelaide, so seeing her there made my first big event at my first big event just confirmed my resolve to keep playing this game. At first, we all just kind of milled around, making small talk and spreading rumors, both those related to the game and the more mundane school rumors that were currently going around. Finally, after we'd been assembled for maybe half an hour, Bethany called us to order. Bethany explained that she and Chris would be leading this event and that certain players had been given parts of a big secret to be uncovered that night. We were all supposed to make deals with one another to try and uncover all or even part of the big secret in exchange for what we would receive power, for which we would receive power. It seemed simple enough and it wasn't long before we were all running around pulling people into secretive conversations and begging favors to try and learn more. I didn't have much luck uncovering the secret that first night, but I had a great time. It was more mystery novel than action thriller I had hoped for at the beginning, but I didn't mind. It was incredibly fun, and I found out found more than one excuse to talk to Adelaide. Adelaide and Sarah's friendship spilled over into the game through a special bond of blood between their characters, and they spent most of the event joined at the hip which made talking to Adelaide alone nearly impossible. However, I made my best efforts and managed to spend a fair amount of time with her over the course of the evening, which is much better to me than actually solving the puzzle laid out before us. At the end of the event, Bethy announced that there would be a special event at her house for those who had solved enough of the big secret, but encouraged those of us, uh, those of us who have failed to do so to carry on our own side plots. I didn't mind missing the invitation to Bethany's, though I could see some of the players were clearly sore about it. Victoria, a mousy girl with a tangle of brown hair who was one of the moderators, invited me and some others, including Sarah and Adelaide, 
to join her at her house the next day for a smaller event she was running. I naturally agreed. Any excuse to spend more time with Adelaide was good enough for me. Plus, I was pretty excited by the game. Although my first event hadn't been incredibly fruitful, I'd earned a couple of favors with other players, using my character's abilities, and I was interested in seeing how I might use those later. I exchanged numbers with Victoria, as well as a fair number of other players, and said my farewells for the evening. I discovered that evening how big texting was a part of the blood game, as I found myself involved in a flurry of conversations. Apparently there were some big plots going on in the game that I knew little about, but learned of as text flew back and forth between individuals and groups. One thing I didn't mention before was that there was a loose faction system that people joined up with involved, involving the big events and plots to try and further their character. I discovered that by agreeing to go to Victoria's event, I had become a part of the Owl Eye faction, for the time being at least, and that furthermore put me at odds with a couple of the other factions. I didn't really understand this stuff, especially just coming into it but I found it all pretty interesting and stayed up late exchanging text messages with other members of my faction, including Adelaide. The next day, I found myself at Victoria's house with, as I recall, eight other players, most of whom I didn't know well. Interestingly, Adelaide was there, but Sarah was not, which did not come as a disappointment to me. Victoria's house was a fairly large townhome, and she had taken over the den and decorated it in an appropriately cheerless, gothic manner. Her parents did not seem to be home, and Victoria had somehow acquired a box of red wine marked Blood in Sharpie for the event. I had to admit, the blood game was seeming cooler than ever at this point. It didn't take long for the smaller event to get started. Victoria explained that there was a dark spirit coming to her house to provide answers to questions about one of the bigger plots which had something to do with finding out which player from a certain other faction was in possession of an ancient artifact of great power known as the Whisper Stone. Our job was going to be to try and trick the spirit into answering our questions without it being able to trick us in return in some way. After the event had been explained, we sat around drinking wine for a while and discussing various rumors within the game. A couple of favors were exchanged between players, and one player even gave up a coveted power card to another in exchange for something that I didn't catch. Mostly, my attention was on Adelaide. I tried to keep the conversation game-oriented so as to not let on why I was giving her so much attention, but I struggled given that I didn't actually know much about what was going on. Since I didn't know what else to ask, I decided to ask her about Sarah's absence. Oh, she replied with a strange, unreadable look on her face. Sarah decided she'd rather be a member of the Red Rippers than be an Owl Eye. She wanted me to come too, but the Red Rippers give me the creeps. I nodded sympathetically, but I found her answer sort of odd. It was just a game, after all. What did it matter which faction you were in, and how could one of them give you the creeps, anyway? Before I could ask her about it, it became clear that the event proper was starting. Victoria called us to order before a small table made up of a sort of like an altar with fancy cloth covering it and a variety of candles. She instructed someone to turn off the lights, and although it wasn't exactly dark outside yet, I had to admit she had given the room a pretty good atmosphere. On the table sat a deck of tarot cards. 
The spirit will be arriving shortly. Remember not to let the spirit trick you, or you will pay dearly, Victoria said in a very theatrical manner. Her manner caused me to remember seeing her in more than one school production, which seemed very fitting with how she was handling the whole event. It was cheesy, but between the wine and the atmosphere, I had to admit that I felt a twinge of fear as we recited a chant at the instruction of Victoria. I can't remember the chant exactly. Something like, Spirit of Wisdom, grant us access to your dark secrets. After we did this for a while, the room seemed to change somehow. A chill came over me as the lights around us seemed to dim and the candles burned brighter. Victoria's eyes rolled back in her head and she began to speak in a raspy whisper that would have seemed silly and over the top to me normally, but in that moment felt oddly convincing. The spirit is among us, she rasped and tapped on the deck of the tarot cards. Ask it what you will. I was silent. I really didn't know enough about this mystery we were supposed to be solving to feel confident saying anything. And besides that, my voice seemed to be caught in my throat. I was waiting for someone to say something, and finally a guy whose name I didn't know spoke up. Who are the leaders of the Wolfpaw? he asked. This question didn't really make sense to me, but I figured this faction must have something to do with finding the aforementioned Whisperstone. Victoria tapped her finger on the deck of cards deck of tarot cards, and the question-asking guy seemed to remember this was how the event worked and lifted the top card. It was the Three of Cups. This was no more meaningful to me than the question itself, but several players nodded thoughtfully as if this was a striking revelation. The whole thing began to feel a bit, bit silly to me, and I only feigned interest as more questions were asked, and more seemingly meaningless answers provided by the tarot deck. I had been idly daydreaming for several minutes when suddenly a girl I vaguely recognized from Algebra 2, whose name was Claire, flipped the death card in response to some question I had missed. Victoria shrieked and pointed a wavering finger at Claire. The spirit is coming for you! Victoria rasped, eyes still rolling back into her head. Seeming to know how to play her part, Claire fell to the floor, coughing as if choking. The spirit says it wishes to dine on the blood of a vampire tonight, Victoria cried out, almost shrieking now, as Claire rolled around on the carpet. Everyone watched, transfixed. I had to admit, this part was pretty convincing, and the chill I had felt earlier ran up my spine again. There were more rasps and shrieks from Victoria, and more convulsions on the floor of the den from Claire. Claire seemed to actually be choking now and some of the color had drained from her face. "'Someone do something!' the question guy from earlier said. I looked around at the group, but no one seemed sure of how to handle this situation. Finally, Adelaide turned to me and spoke. "'Hey, Daniel,' she said. "'Doesn't your character have the banishing ability?' I thought back. She was right. I recalled I had taken banishing as one of my abilities when Garrett had helped me make my character— all eyes were on me now, and even though I didn't know exactly what to do, I arose and pointed at Claire, still writhing, and shouted in a forceful voice that surprised even me. 
dark spirit, go back from when ye, whence ye came. You have no power in the house of Owlai. It was as if some spell had been cast on all of us broke. Claire stopped writhing, and several of the other players rushed to her side. Victoria's eyes went back to the normal position, and she quit rasping and shrieking, although I couldn't be sure of it. It seemed as though the room had become somewhat lighter. Soon the wine was flowing again as people were chatting about the results of the event, comparing notes about the answers given by the spirit, and speculating about the whisper stone. The way in which everyone was acting so casual kind of put me off. Had I been the only one who had legitimately felt fearful during that whole scene? I tried to shrug it off by reminding myself that we were all just playing a game, but there was a bad taste in my mouth I couldn't seem to get out. Several of the other players came over to tell me what a great job I had done thwarting the dark spirit. Victoria even awarded me a power card which, I had to admit, even in my slightly freaked out state, made me feel good. Claire didn't speak to me directly, but she caught my eye several times and gave me a look I couldn't read. As the afternoon turned into evening, the assembled players began to spill out around the house, and things began to shift from event to party, though still with most of the talk concerning various aspects of the game. I was a bit tipsy from the wine, and by this point was urgently in need of the bathroom, so I had Victoria point me the way there. The hallway had a strange, foul odor in it, something I realized I'd been smelling the whole time, but now the smell was stronger. This did nothing to relieve my feelings of unease. Upon finishing my business in the bath bathroom, I was confronted in the hallway by Claire, who walked up to me with a sly look in her eye. You know, she said as she sashayed towards me, I think your performance earlier puts me in debt to you. Perhaps I can do you a favor? She came close to me and I could smell the wine on her breath. Perhaps you'd like to drink my blood? She asked, sweeping back her long blonde hair and offering me her neck. The gesture gave me a strange mixed feeling of arousal and disgust. I said nothing. Eventually, she returned her head to a normal angle and looked me in the eyes before moving even closer to me and placing her hands on me, one on my chest and one on my thigh. Maybe there's a different favor you want? She said, and now in a husky whisper, as she ran her hand up and down my thigh. I muttered an excuse, something about taking that favor another time, and decided now was my time to exit. Although it was somewhat foolish to drive in my state, I knew my house was only about four blocks away, so I said quick goodbyes to everyone and then dashed out of the house as fast as I could. Once home, I managed to make it to my room without my parents taking much notice of me or my intoxicated state, thank God, and finally breathed a sigh of relief. Claire's come on, and especially it being given in the context of the game, had shook me as much as anything that happened that evening, and my head was spinning. I began to think that maybe the blood game wasn't for me, and that I should write Garrett a text asking him to please remove me from the game. As soon as I picked up my phone, however, I was blown away by the startling number of messages I'd received, having not checked them since before the start of the event. The messages were varied, but all followed the same thread. They were about me, 
text were flying back and forth about how Owlai had a powerful new ally that the tables were turning against the enemies of the newly bolstered faction. My banishing of the dark spirit was all anyone seemed to be able to talk about, and there were hints too about what Owlai had learned, what I still don't know, from the spirit's visit. Rumors abounded about preparations made by Wolfpaw for a coming raid. My most recent message was from Victoria. It read, Sorry about Claire, she's really drunk and passed out now, but she told me first about her little run-in with you in the hall. She's a total doof. I hope that's not why you left. Everyone agrees you're a great addition to the game and a major asset to Owlai. Although I was still a little freaked out from the evening's events, this message calmed me significantly. Whatever Claire had been up to had nothing to do with the game. Just a drunken, horny girl at party making a fool of herself. I actually laughed at my own foolishness. To think I'd let a simple game scare me so much. And now it started to seem very silly. I even had to admit that the event had been kind of fun. Certainly, it had been thrilling. The next couple of weeks saw me attending more events, including one with an astonishing 60 or so players, without anything particularly weird going on. My focus was still mostly on Adelaide at these events, especially when it was an ally faction only an ally faction only event and Sarah wasn't around. Sarah seemed more and more off somehow when I saw her during the game, and I rarely saw her at school anymore, it seemed, but mostly I just tried to avoid her. To my relief, Claire had seemed to stop coming to ally events after a little encounter, which further made me feel comfortable to keep playing. I thought for a while that perhaps she had quit the game, but eventually I saw her at one of the big events chatting with Sarah and some other players I had to assume were Red Rippers. I wondered briefly how she had become a part of the faction so many treated with such awe and prestige, but I didn't give it much thought and I didn't really see her or notice her again at any events. Because my main focus wasn't often on the game itself, I continued to do poorly at large events and still had not been to one of the reward events at Bethany's house by the end of the four weeks of playing. However, at ally gatherings, I was regarded as a rather good player, and Victoria, who was apparently ally's headmaster or whatever, was giving me one or sometimes even two power cards at every event. Eventually, I helped our faction get the fabled Whisper Stone, some fancy pebble from a rock shop, from Wolfpaw, who had foolishly hidden it on school grounds. I was beginning to feel like Ally's champion, and I couldn't believe I had almost left the blood game, which was now all I could think about during the hours in which I wasn't actively playing. One thing that left me feeling curious, though, were the Red Rippers. There were a fair number of factions that I had interacted with in various events, but the Red Rippers never seemed to be involved in the storylines the rest of the players were working on. Members of their faction would usually turn up for big events, but even in those instances they didn't seem to be particularly involved. I questioned several people about the Rippers, and the answers I got were always strange, like the one Adelaide had given me the first time she told me about them. The Red Rippers were creepy, spooky, and not playing the same game as the rest of us. After six weeks in the blood game, I got a strange text message from Garrett one Saturday when there seemed to be no event scheduled. It was a simple message asking if I wanted to come over. I asked if he was hosting some kind of event. 
His response sort of startled me. Fuck the blood game, dude. Just come fucking play Halo with me, okay? It wasn't like Garrett to be this hostile, especially on the subject of the blood game, but I figured he was just a irritated about school or something. Besides, it wasn't unusual for us to get together, and for us to stay up most of the night at his place, binging on video games. It was over just such a pretext that he originally invited me to play the blood game. In fact, I realized we hadn't had one of these once common evenings since I started playing, so maybe he was just agitated because we'd been neglecting our friendship for this long. I brushed off the seemingly angry text and headed over there without worry. When I arrived at his house, however, I did feel worried. Garrett looked pale and weary. He didn't say much as he fired up a round of Halo 2 and passed me a controller. He had an open beer sitting out, and after a few minutes he offered me one. I raised an eyebrow at him, wondering if his parents would notice that we were up, uh, what we were up to, but he seemed unconcerned, so I opened the beer and drank greedily without questioning it any further. We played in near-total silence for a while, and I couldn't help but notice Garrett wasn't playing well. Garrett usually beat me four out of five games easy, but I was taking him to school that night. Finally, I couldn't take it. I paused the game and turned to face him. What is up, dude? I asked. He sighed. Clearly, he'd been expecting this, but he still didn't he still seemed reluctant to talk, and again that silence grew between us. It was a long time before he broke it. I think I'm going to quit the blood game, he said. I didn't say anything. I didn't know what to say. The last time I had talked to him, the blood game has, had been his baby, something he was proud to show off. This reversal seemed strange to the point of almost being unbelievable. He went on not waiting for me to acknowledge what he said with a response. It's just... It was so fun when it started. Sure, it was spooky, and everyone did their best to make sure things as... to make things as scary as they could. But it was also lighthearted. It was just something we did for fun. He trailed off until I broke the silence. Is... is this about the Wolfpaw thing? I know that's sort of your faction. I started, but he cut me off. No, it's not about fucking Wolfpaw, he said, again startling me with his belligerence. I had never seen Garrett like this. I'm, I'm sorry, he said, composing himself. This has nothing to do with you. It's... well, it's Bethany. This piqued my curiosity somewhat. As long as I'd been involved with the blood game, I had still barely interacted with Bethany, and even at this point, I found the idea of her as the leader behind this whole thing odd. The other moderators had seemed to be constantly involved with various storylines of the game, to the point where one had to wonder how any of them got any schoolwork done, but Bethany was largely absent outside of large events, and her private events which I still had not been privy to. She's not really playing by the rules, Garrett went on. I mean, she's the one who was really in charge of this whole thing. It was all her idea at the start. So I guess to an extent she can do whatever she wants. But what she's doing doesn't even make sense. What do you mean? I asked. I mean like, the Red Rippers, right? Have you ever seen them really participate in anything outside of their own events? 
I shook my head. That's her special faction, her chosen elite, and they don't even seem to be playing the game the same game as everyone else. They're never involved in stories. They don't leave or follow clues for other factions. They participate in relatively few events. And here's the weirdest part, he continued, looking at me intently. They never ask me for rule checks or to help upgrade their characters. Now, as I mentioned earlier in the story, I've glossed over a great majority of the rules because they simply aren't important, but they were actually fairly nuanced and complex in some respects. Therefore, it wasn't uncommon for, event, for an event or even a casual interaction between players to pause while someone texted Garrett for an answer. Even Victoria or the other moderators did this from time to time. The revelation that Bethany and the Red Rippers weren't doing this was, I had to admit, somewhat odd. Still though, I couldn't really grasp why this was eating at Garrett so heavily. Garrett continued to rant off and on as we played more games and drank as many cheap beers as he felt comfortable stealing from his dad's supply before crashing out sometime in the wee hours of the morning. Nothing else he said made it any clearer what it was that bothered him so much about the blood game as to want to quit, but I also had the feeling he wasn't telling me everything. In the morning, when I got up from a pile of blankets on his floor and gathered myself up to leave, he did say one more thing that got my attention. He asked if I was going to the big event next weekend. I replied I was, of course, going. It was supposed to be the biggest event of the year so far. Supposedly every player would be there, and there were even going to be some major rewards given out to players who had amassed sufficient power. I had been looking forward to it since I'd heard about it, and not just as yet another excuse to see Adelaide, but because I had been legitimately hooked by the blood game. Look, man, I know I can't stop you from going, but just be careful, okay? Keep your eyes open at the big event. Those were his parting words to me. There was a small ally event going on midweek before the big event that weekend. It was a minor affair where we were effectively recruiting a demon player through a role-played scenario that involved us binding the demon to another member of our faction. This event itself was not terribly interesting, but what, what, but what was interesting was that Adelaide wasn't there. Furthermore, I realized I hadn't seen her at school all week. After the event was over, I sent Adelaide a text asking where she'd been. In response, I received this. She's a ripper now. The use of she rather than I in that text sent a shudder down my spine. The word choice made no sense if she was the one sending the message. But if she wasn't sending the message, who was? I tried to rationalize it by thinking that maybe she was using the third person to differentiate between Adelaide the person and Adelaide the blood game character, but I didn't really buy it. Some nagging voice in the back of my mind kept telling me that Sarah was the one who sent that message. Finally, the big event arrived. Bethany's parents were somewhat wealthy and apparently must have condoned the blood game because she had rented a fairly nice hotel conference room. It had been decorated with yards of dark fabric, hundreds of black candles, and other items to set the mood. The crowd was unbelievable. I tried several times to count how many people were at the tables, but I kept losing track. 
I had heard there were kids from other schools playing now, and this confirmed it, as I saw players and moderators there I had never seen before in my life. At the front of the room was a podium, in front of which sat the Red Rippers, who, in spite of all previous protests that we do not dress up for events, were all clad in identical red robes and hoods. The only people who seemed to be absent were Adelaide and Garrett, who apparently kept good on his promise to quit. I sat at a table with other members of Ally, including Victoria, who immediately beamed upon seeing me. Danielle, she whispered excitedly, I'm not supposed to tell you this, but I just can't resist. You're going to be rising in rank tonight. Ally will miss you, buddy. Before I could comprehend the full meaning of her words, Bethany appeared at the podium and called room to order. She explained that in her usual manner of speaking, filled with likes and oh-my-gods, that tonight was going to be a night of great ceremony for those who had grown in power over the last few months. She would have seemed completely ridiculous if she were not, like the rippers who sat silently in front of her, like sentinels, clad in an intimidating red robe and hood. For the first time, I truly began to wonder who Bethany was, and where the blood game had come from anyway. Even more troubling to me was that I had never thought to ask this question before. My broadings didn't last long, however, as soon as I heard Bethany call my name. And from Ally, we have Daniel, who amassed an incredible 47 power in just two months. I looked up to see that there were already some other people standing by the podium with Bethany and that they were donning red robes. Bethany was holding up a red robe that was apparently for me. The room full of high school students pretending they were vampires and the like were all applauding and smiling at me. Nervously, I made my way to the front and accepted the robe. As soon as I looked at the robe closely, I could not help but marvel at, somehow, at how expensive it clearly was. My name had even been sewn onto the inside of it. Though the idea of putting the robe on filled me with an intense feeling of revulsion, I felt that I had no choice. And soon I was wearing the strangely horrible thing, as Bethany called out a few more names of people who had also attained the status of Ripper. There were five of us newbies total, all looking excited, except for me. At the end of this, Bethany said a few more words before revealing that the other moderators had special plans for the players tonight, and that they should prepare themselves for the introduction of several new storylines, and then stepping down from the podium. As the room filled with a buzz of conversation, Bethany came over to those of us who had just been promoted, walking with her characteristic limp. Like, congratulations, you guys! Tonight's your first night as Rippers. I hope you're, like, so excited. There will be a special event at my house tonight at midnight, and you seriously, like, look at me, seriously, cannot miss it, she said exuberantly before handing each of us cards with what was apparently her address on it. The thought of this special event filled me with dread, but I knew that I had to go, if nothing else, just to see what the Red Rippers were really all about. Bethany began to go around the room speaking with moderators and players, and generally socializing while the rippers who had been sitting before the podium came up to those of us who had only just been given the robe and introduced themselves. After several faces I didn't recognize had gone by, I realized that the ripper now standing in front of me was Sarah. 
She looked more vibrant than I had seen her since her sister's tragic death, and she smiled and greeted me warmly. Sarah, I said, keeping hold of her hand so she wouldn't move on to the next person. Where's Adelaide? Have you seen her? Oh, you'll see her later, she said, and then she was gone, lost in the sea of players. The big event wrapped up around 10.45, and given how far Bethany's house was from the hotel, I left with scant little time to do anything before heading there, if I wanted to meet with the midnight deadline. In addition to the pressure of the time weighing down on me, my phone had died during the event and there was no way I could charge it. A terrible feeling was gnawing at my stomach, but I truly felt as though I must go to Bethany's and face whatever it, would, whatever it was I would find there. I had to see Adelaide, if nothing else, and confirm that she was okay. I did, however, manage to make one quick stop on my way at a big box store on the road leading towards one of the nicer suburbs where Bethany lived. Feeling guided by some force of intuition, I quickly grabbed a handful of items that I thought I might need. A disposable camera, a lighter, a bottle of spring water, and a small Swiss Army pocket knife. All of the items I was able to stash in the robe's internal pockets when I got back in the car, something of which I found myself very grateful for. I had always known Bethany's parents were wealthy to some extent, but I had never known just how wealthy until I arrived at the ad address I had been given. This place was more like an estate than any home I had ever been to before. The house itself looked to be 4,000 square feet or more, and behind it rolled a large, fenced-in expanse with what I had to assume was a horse barn in it. When I arrived at the door, I was greeted by a couple of rippers who welcomed me warmly into the house and showed me a place to put my shoes and a hook to hang my keys on. The interior was dazzling. It looked like a ballroom in a Victorian-era movie or something. Too incredible to be real. A dozen or so individuals clad in red robes milled about, chatting and drinking red wine. Bethany soon appeared before me and offered me a glass, which I took, though I felt somewhat reluctant to do so. I wasn't a fan of red wine in general, and this drink I found particularly disgusting. Still, not wanting to give away my discomfort with the situation, I drank almost the whole glass while making small talk with the other rippers. Unlike most events I'd been to, none of the conversation in the room concerned the game. Instead, the topics were fairly normal sorts of small talk you'd expect at any high school party. Boys, girls, sports, TV, video games. I sought for sign of either Sarah or Adelaide, but neither of them seemed to be in this grand foyer, and I soon found myself actually somewhat engrossed in discussions of football with a ripper who I did not know and I thought perhaps went to another school. I was offered more of the horrible-tasting wine, and I drank as much as I felt I had to be to be polite. Eventually, Bethany called us to order. Once she had her attention, she led us all into a smaller room, a library, the sort I had always imagined having if I, if I myself were rich, though, to be honest, I wasn't a big reader. There was a plethora of comfortable, dark leather chairs and couches that smelled faintly of brandy and cigar smoke. There was also another smell, I noticed. A foul smell I couldn't directly identify that reminded me of what I had smelled at the first event at Victoria's house. The library was formidably dark, only lit by a few candles. 
Every shadow seemed, to me, to be the possible home of demons. I noticed that Sarah was in this room, sitting at the desk, sitting at a desk at which she was joined by Bethany. There must have been close to 20 of us in that room now. Some of them, like me, were new and looked around with nervous apprehension. The rest seemed to be confident in whatever was to come. I decided to slip out the disposable camera to capture an image of the scene, waiting until I could be sure no attention was on me. Thankfully, there was still enough chatter in the room to conceal the click of the shutter, and thankfully, also, I kept the flash from going off, though I had to wonder if the light in the room would be enough to give any details in the picture I had taken. I took one more, aiming the cap to capture a clear image of Bethany, who, as it so happened, was the most well-illuminated person in the room, given that she stood at the desk, which had been covered in candles, whispering something to Sarah. Eventually, Bethany called us to order again. Welcome, night creatures, she announced theatrically, in a voice that sounded nothing like her usual bubbly speech. Welcome to the Hall of the Red Rippers. I am pleased to say we have many new initiates with us tonight. She gestured at those of us who were new. I stashed the camera quickly as all eyes turned on me for a moment. But the gaze of the room quickly returned to Bethany without giving me a second look. Let us take a moment to recite the dark prayer, she said, pulling a book that looked more ancient than any text I had ever seen from under the desk. She began to recite, and the other rippers recited with her. Although I had never heard these words before, I found myself before I found myself saying them as if my voice wasn't my own. I can't honestly be said to remember the full prayer, as it was quite long, and my head was muddled with that horrible wine, which, in reflection, I suspect may have been drugged. But I remember this part. From the darkness which we come, into darkness go, and in the dark all battles won, and in the dark we know. We are the creatures of the night, the stories all made true. We hold the secrets to curse the light, we know the darkness true. We repeated that part several times at the end, and the shadows of the room seemed to grow deeper and darker in appreciation for our words. My head was starting to hurt, and I could not keep my vision quite straight. I tried to stay focused as Bethany recited more things from the book, but the words seemed meaningless in my ears. Meaningless, but also meaningful in some dark way. Like someone speaking in tongues or something. Eventually, Bethany closed the book and one of the rippers put something in my hand. Yet another glass of foul wine. Everyone was now drinking from these glasses in silence, and I drank as much as I could stand to but it made me feel sick, and not in the normal way, like when I'd had a few too many beers at a friend's house. Come now, Bethany spoke after most of the people in the room had finished their drink. It's time for the ceremony of blood. Sarah will lead the ceremony as tonight it is in her bond that will be tested. This caught my attention. I recalled clearly that Sarah and Adelaide were supposed to have a blood bond of some kind as a part of the game, and I felt sure this is what Bethany was referring to. I followed, trying not to betray my inner feelings of revulsion at this whole evening's events, 
as we filed out of the room and down a nearby staircase into a large basement, only lit by candles. It was everything I could do not to scream as we were led to one wall of the expansive basement. There, I saw three people, all naked, tied to hooks in the wall with sturdy rope. I immediately recognized all of them as Claire, Adelaide, and Garrett. Claire was in the worst shape of all of them. Her body looked like it had stained much abuse already, as she was covered in bruises and poorly healed cuts. She looked barely aware of her surroundings. The puddle of dried blood at her feet was disturbingly large. Adelaide had only a few wounds on her body, but they looked fresh. Garrett was as of yet unharmed other than a few bruises. Both Adelaide and Garrett were gagged, but Claire was not. Claire, it seemed, could do little more than drool bloody spit. I wanted to puke. I wanted to attack the ripper next to me. I wanted to do anything but just stand there stupidly, but that was all I seemed to be capable of doing. My limbs felt like lead. Tonight, we have a powerful selection to drink from. Bethany said with a glee that sent shudders down my spine. First, we have the blood of the willing, she said, pointing towards Claire, who continued to do nothing but spit up blood and blink lazily. Second, we have the blood of the bound, the most powerful, she said, pointing towards Adelaide, who looked around the room with nothing in her eyes but a sort of sad resignation. Third, we have the blood of the infidel, the traitor, she said, pointing towards Garrett, whose eyes were filled with rage. He struggled and did his best to shout around the gag. One of the rippers walked over to him, punching him hard in the gut, and he quieted down. I quickly pulled the camera out and snapped another picture before stashing it away again. Sarah now stepped forward, brandishing an ornate knife. I watched in horror as she slashed Claire deeply on the thigh and several rippers stepped forward licking at the wound, blood covering their mouths and faces. Claire made no reaction. Others stepped forward, and they took turns drinking from the steadily dripping wound. What the fuck? I shouted, both surprised and terrified by my outburst, but apparently unable to control it. The rippers turned towards me. Their faces were unreadable. It was too dark to tell, but it seemed to me that all their eyes had become an unnatural yellow color. Is something wrong, Daniel? Bethany asked. I tried several times to stammer out a response, but the glare of everyone in the room made my words weak. I literally feel as if the air in my chest was being pulled out by the stare of those people, and each breath felt like a ragged gasp. Finally, I was able to speak. This is supposed to be a game, I said feebly. Ah, yes, Bethany cooed in a voice that both comforted and disturbed me. But what is the game about, Daniel? The game is about power, of course. It's about being something more than your feeble human shell. Isn't that what you wanted? Isn't that why you agreed to play? I noticed that my head was nodding softly, against my own will, it seemed. I spoke up again, and my voice sounded weaker than ever. I don't want to drink blood. Oh, Bethany said, brandishing a cruel smile. 
You didn't seem to mind the blood in your drink. The horrible taste of the wine made sense finally, and I retched at this new revelation, trying to throw up but unable to do so. Bethany's face turned from that cruel smile to an even crueler scowl. Now, Daniel, I've been kind to you so far, but if you don't start shaping up and acting like a ripper, I'm going to, I'm going to have to be concerned you don't really have what it takes to be a vampire, she said. She made some small gesture to Sarah, who moved towards Adelaide and slashed her with a knife, opening up a horrible gash across her stomach. Adelaide left, let out a muffled shriek and thrashed helplessly, earning her a hard slap across the face from Sarah, who called her a stupid bitch. Now come, Daniel, Bethany said, and drink deep of true power. I felt myself being dragged forward. I realized there was now a ripper on either side of me, pulling me by my arms. My feet reluctantly followed, and I seemed to be unable to stop them. Soon, I found myself kneeling before Adelaide, blood oozing down the front of her pale body, and rippers released my arms, and I turned to look around the dark basement. All eyes were on me, everyone smiling, whispering small encouragements. They didn't look like humans, but more like violent animals. Their eyes, which I was now almost sure had turned an inhuman shade of yellow, stared with a hungry anticipation. I decided that they did not even look like animals, but more like demons. Something in my mind clicked right then. These people were demons. They were demons, and my character was a banisher of such things. Thinking quickly, I stood up and turned around, summoning all the courage I had in me and shouting as forcefully as I could. I am the light who stands against the night. I am the truth greater than any dark secret. To my genuine surprise, many of the rippers backed off. A few of them even covered their ears as if my words were painful to hear. Stop him, Bethany shrieked. We will have the blood of two infidels. Rippers grabbed my arms. Sarah produced a cruel knife and, pulling back the sleeve of my robe, slashed down the length of the inside of my forearm. I screamed as blood began to spill profusely from the wound, and, to my absolute horror, some of the rippers licked splatters of it off the floor. Mustering everything I had, I shouted again, Unhand me, foul demons! Your power over me is none, for I am the fire that burns brightly through the night. Again, to my astonishment, the rippers complied, backing away. Those who had drank my blood began to look ill and rushed out of the room, several others following behind them, looks of fear clouding their faces. Bethany tried to rally her followers, but only a few of them complied. Those that did stay pulled knives like the ones Sarah held and began to advance on me again. I was afraid and not confident that another shout would keep them from stabbing me to death. I reached into my robe at first, thinking to grab my tiny pocket knife knife as if it would be any match for their cruel blades, but instead my hand landed on the water bottle. I pulled this bottle out and uncapped it. Spirits of light, bless this water. Let it be used to cleanse these foul demons from this earth, I cried, and then doused my attackers. Incredibly, this also seemed to work as the rippers fell to the floor, shouting and writhing in pain. At this point, Bethany fled, calling after her comrades. I felt weak, 
I was soaked in my own blood. Still, I managed to find the pocket knife, simply ignoring the writhing rippers who seemed incapacitated for the moment, and cut free Adelaide and then Garrett. Garrett, once free of his bonds and gag, was in good enough shape, but Adelaide could barely stand. I went to cut Claire down, but then the rippers were but by then the rippers were starting to find their knives and composure. I realized there was no way I could save her too. Throwing Adelaide over my shoulder, I shouted at Garrett to run, and run we did. Although, if I hadn't playing, been playing any sports lately, I was grateful for the years of football training that gave me the stamina to run with another person draped over my shoulder as the three of us busted out of the basement. We were met with rippers, led by a raging Bethany, who blocked the front entrance, and we scrambled away looking for another way out. I could hear Bethany shrieking orders, but as I looked back, I could see that her forces were moving sluggishly. Apparently, they were still demoralized from my earlier efforts against them. After busting our way through various rooms, all of them feeling strangely unlived in, I finally found a back door and ran out into the dark night. Clouds had formed overhead, and there was virtually no light to see. Without thinking, I pulled out the lighter I had bought and used it as a crude flashlight. My keys, I remembered. They were still inside. Cursing myself, I looked around the back of the estate for an answer, then remembered the horse barn. As a child, I had been often made to attend various summer camps by my parents, more than one of which had featured horseback riding. Although it had been a long time, I knew that this was likely my only hope. I turned to ask Garrett if he knew how to ride, only to see that he was no longer by my side. How long had he been missing, I wondered. But I knew that I had to go back and find him. Was more likely... But I knew that to go back and find him was more likely to get me killed than to save him, so I pressed on. As I reached the barn, I heard voices coming from the house behind me. Apparently, the rippers weren't far behind. I ran into the barn and immediately found it to be full of horses. I didn't think... I just opened the first stall I saw and jumped on the horse, throwing Adelaide on behind me and riding out, desperately hoping I could keep control of the beast. Before we exited the barn, I threw the lighter into a pile of hay, and to my delight it lit up, apparently being quite dry. As we rode out into the dark, the barn began to light up, and I heard voices. My horsies! Bethany shrieked in a voice that sounded more like her own than anything I heard her say all night. Save my horsies! She cried over and over as the rippers did their best to comply. I didn't look back to see what happened next. I just rode. By the time we reached the city again, I was... I could barely keep my eyes open. My life's blood stained the neck of the horse that I held tightly to. Adelaide had done nothing but weep softly and hold on for dear life and her cries had become weaker as we rode. Eventually, I could no longer see anything as my vision flooded with darkness, and I passed out. I awoke in a hospital bed. The room was filled with people. Friends, family, mostly people I recognized, but even a few that I didn't crowded in around me. Garrett was there. He looked shell-shocked, but alive. He was the first one to speak to me, coming over to my side and talking softly. It's over, he said, and repeated several times. Bethany, the other moderators, the Rippers, they're all awaiting trial. You're safe. Adelaide, 
I rasp, my mouth feeling drier than I could ever remember it feeling before. She's down the hall. She's fine, he said. At this news, I smiled and drifted back to a peaceful sleep. Over the coming weeks, I would learn the rest of the events of that night. Not wanting to run out into the dark, unknown, naked, and with no means of transportation, Garrett had run back inside and stabbed one of the rippers to death in a struggle to get a set of car keys. A fire in Bethany's barn had claimed the lives of several rippers, as well as many of her horses, and had attracted the authorities to her place, who had quickly discovered the gruesome scene, as well as Claire, who had died by the time they arrived. They found several other bodies in the house, including her parents. Several of the other moderators, including Victoria, had also killed their parents, it turned out. The list of crimes was long and gruesome, but none of those involved in the high levels of the blood game, including Sarah, were out on the streets for long. Bethany, as well as most of the others, were soon confined to a maximum security psychiatric hospital with no real chance of a release. The pictures I had taken, all of them astonishingly well lit somehow, helped secure the convictions. As much as anything that happened that night, Claire's death weighed heavily on me, and I spent the rest of the school year earning my GED online while battling nightmares at night. Garrett went into some kind of witness protection program and disappeared to start a new life under a new name, apparently unable to face his old reality. Adelaide, amazingly, returned to school after less than a month away. We got together several times after the events of that night, but it seemed as though all we could do was bring up old wounds in each other, and we soon dropped contact. After high school, I made the decision to enlist in the Navy right away. College just seemed too difficult, and I felt that a life of rigid structure and discipline might help me escape the nagging fears that seemed to lurk around every corner. Shortly before my departure to basic training, however, I decided to pay a visit to the hospital where they were keeping Bethany and the others. I didn't know what I expected or hoped to get out of it, but I guess I was looking for some sort of closure, something to make sense of everything that had happened. I remember sitting in that glass booth that separated me from those confined to the halls of that place and staring into Bethany's face. Her disgust was with me was apparent from the moment I arrived, and it was clear that she wasn't speaking to me by choice. After a long silence between us, she spoke. What do you want, vile light bringer? She snarled at me, actually spitting on the glass between us. For a while, I didn't know what to say. But finally, a question formed itself in my mind. How did you come up with the blood game? I asked. This was the one question that had been plaguing me since before the horrible events at her house so it seemed like the best thing I could ask for her. She laughed. I didn't, <laughs> she said, still laughing, and that was the only response that she would give me. And that is the end of the blood game. That was... Oh boy. <laughs> I was hoping there would be another page. This is 15 pages long. If you can believe that but it will be ooh, but it will be linked in the description below I hope you all enjoyed that as much as I did I didn't think I was gonna read the whole thing because it was 15 pages I thought I would have to split it into parts but 
The pages weren't very long, <laughs> but it was a very good story. So this will be linked down in the description. It'll take me a little bit to write out. Because <laughs> I, I do type them out by hand. Because I, do, I don't have a copy pasta function because I use my computer to read and my phone to record. And I'm lazy. But thank you so much for joining me. That was awesome. And I hope this episode wasn't too long for anybody. My, my one fan. Thank you again, Brian. Uh, I'm going to... I'm going to try and do a user-requested story at least once a week, at minimum. I am quite enjoying making this podcast, and even if there's only, you know, one fan, <laughs> that is one fan more than I was expecting out of this, so thank you so much so so much feel free to go to my social media as mentioned in the beginning I hope those of you who were trying to fall asleep have managed to have a amazing drift off I think my I think my outros are getting worse guys I don't know what to say and if you're not trying to go to sleep, I hope I didn't put you asleep and that you are still awake. <laughs> to do not listen to the breathing exercises if you have uh, heavy machinery to operate. You're all amazing and I will see you on episode 11. I'm going to be doing my absolute favorite series in a few parts and that will be the pen pal series which i am very excited about so look out for that it should be starting tomorrow thank you again good night good day good whatever goodbye <laughs>